0: I advise you to take your scriptures and turn back to the Acts chapter 8 passage that we read earlier. While you're doing that, just let me announce and give a little plug for the Compassions Ministry. They have a meals ministry that they do and they reach out to people in our church and even sometimes beyond that who are sick and had surgery or have great needs for whatever reasons. And they provide meals to them. If you would like to join them, or you are you already a part of that ministry? There's a new form you need to fill out either way. So uh, we'll have someone right outside the uh, doors right after the service this morning if you'd like to become part of that ministry, or even if you are. Either way, we need you to fill out that form, if you would, right after the service. Some would argue that J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings is the greatest movie ever made. Now, whether you agree with that or not, The article I read said what makes this film a masterpiece is the theme of a greater story. Meaning before mankind on Middle Earth that's in the story is extinct because of Sauron and the evil overlords. There is a quest and the quest is to take the ring back to the fires of Mordor to extinguish it. And thus the cosmic battle has been fought. And that little cosmic battle of taking the ring back becomes the centerpiece of the entire movie. In fact, everyone's destiny on that planet is at stake in that adventure. And oddly enough, in that world, the whole world hinges on the action of the unlikeliest heroes. And if you know anything about the story, you read the book or the movies, you'll know that those heroes are hobbits. Hobbits like Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee. They're, as the book says, simple shire folk. They were, we would say today, country bumpkins. They would not be someone that would be earth-shaking move uh, movers in our culture. But these little hobbits are usually overlooked because they are small and diminutive in stature, other than their feet, of course. And they... The whole book long, they grapple, little hobbits do, to really understand and comprehend how they can have such a big, I said, big part as small people in the scheme of things. And their little quest becomes the greatest adventure of all time. The idea that our lives serve a greater story is actually a brilliant idea uh, by Tolkien. Tolkien understood that as Christians, we actually ourselves live in an epic story like that, the greatest story of all time. Tolkien also knew that at times Christians themselves struggle to figure out how that we fit in, our place in this gigantic, wonderful story of the redemption of all of mankind. Most of us fail to appreciate that although God in his sovereign power and wisdom has Made this movement worldwide that he has planted also that that story hinges on using people, using hobbits, can I say, or humans to reach the world and spread the gospel to every nation. Now I say that, listen to say this. Because one of the greatest ploys of our adversary, the devil, is to get you to think that your part in this gigantic meta-narrative, this huge story is completely unnecessary, that you really aren't that important in all of this. Have you ever felt in your mind that you really don't make a difference, that your life really doesn't, I mean really doesn't affect anyone in any major way? If you have thought that, or you have believed that, can I tell you kindly, it's a lie. It's a lie. Nothing actually and biblically could be ever further from the truth. You and I, as believers and followers and disciples of Jesus, we have a role in the greatest story of all time. In fact, that role, potentially from a human standpoint, can have an ever-extending network of reaching out to people and seeing them come to know Christ. The question is... I want to pose this morning is will you go and do your part? Now that idea of being part of a greater story takes place in the two little micro stories in the book of Acts that we want to look at. One this morning and one tonight. The first one is Acts 8, the story of Philip reaching the Ethiopian eunuch which we've read. And tonight the story of Ananias bringing Saul of Tarsus to a fuller understanding of his faith in Christ and seeing him baptized. Now we all know that reaching one person is a lot harder than it seems. And this is a story that puts that reaching one person in a context. Acts chapter 1 through 7 is the church reaching Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8 is the church reaching Samaria. And Acts chapter 9 is the church reaching the whole world with the gospel. But what we fail to understand is that reaching Samaria, chapter 8, and reaching the whole world were done because one person reached one other person with the gospel. And the great thing about this text is the two people that were used, Philip and Ananias, they were hobbits. Okay, holy hobbits. And by that I mean this. When God wanted to reach the Ethiopian eunuch, and he wanted to reach Saul of Tarsus so in doing he could reach the world, you know who he did not choose? He did not choose apostles. This wasn't a job that was slated for Peter or James or John. It wasn't. In fact, the winning of these two people to Jesus did not even take place in Jerusalem, which was the center of all of God's dealings. It didn't take place in the temple. One was on a desert road and the other one was in a little outskirt city called Damascus. Because here's what God's plan is all about. It's about God using ordinary people, small, seemingly insignificant, without much impact or influence, little people, to reach the world with the gospel. He didn't call in the special forces. There are not two stories about like Peter earlier in chapters in acts, preaching and thousands could say this is not that story. This is the story about one person being willing to go to one person. And because they were willing to go, many, many people come to know Christ. Pastor Walker, how could that possibly happen? How can somebody have influence on one person locally and then have such an impact globally? Well, here's how God does it. In both of our texts, you'll see this morning and tonight, but the whole thing starts off with a little word. It's a command, go. In the Gospels, there are big go commissions. Jesus says, and this is like if you're on Google, Google Maps, you're zoomed out, you're looking from the moon, you're looking down on planet Earth, and Jesus gives this gigantic statement encompassing everybody, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. And it's huge. And when you think about that task in your mind, you might think that's pretty daunting. I mean, that's probably overwhelming over my head. How am I going to reach the world? But here's what God does for us in the book of Acts. What he does in the Gospels way out here, he zooms in. Have you ever used Google? I mean, Google, whatever it is, satellite, whatever it is. And you come down, you can actually come and see your own house on the very street that you live. I mean, you can see the whole planet practically. And you can zoom in and you can see your little street. That's what Acts does. The book of Acts is zooming in on two little stories on an exact road in an offskirt desert. And then an exact street in a little podunk town. See, God says, yeah, we need to reach the world. But then he says to you, and you need to reach your world right where you are. And because Philip and Ananias are willing to go locally, God uses their influence to go globally Eusebius was a second century historian and he records, and we're not sure about all the accuracy, but he records the name of the Ethiopian eunuch and the history of how after he was saved and baptized on that road in the desert, that he went back to be a missionary to his own country. Ethiopia back then, it's a small country today. Back then it was anything from about halfway in Africa down. It was the whole major region. It was as far as they knew the world went. And at that time, Eusebius writes that he went back to Ethiopia and the bottom half of Africa was one to Christ. Thousands of people came to know Jesus over time because that one man's witness. Because Philip went locally, God was able to use that to go Globally, We all know what happened with the Apostle Paul's life. Ananias goes and helps and encourages, and Saul is saved and then baptized, and then Saul plants churches and reached most unknown world, and he gives out the gospel. No one was used like the Apostle Paul. Why? Because one man, when God said go, did what he was told and did it with a loving heart. Two little humans, (laughs) two little hobbits. Can I say this? Faith Baptist Church, we need to put the go back in the gospel. You say, okay, Pastor Walker, I hear you. I'm a Christian. The Bible says I should go. I have a particular role to play in God's big story. I want to go for God. I really do. But how does that work? Well, this is the passage. It's so easy because it's just one coin flipped over two sides of the same coin. Let me tell you how going for God works in your world. Ready? Ready? First is this, God guides you to people. Write it down. God guides you to people. In the text, in verse 26, it says, the angel of the Lord said to Philip. Wouldn't it be nice if that happened today? And then he says in verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip. Now, God's primary source of guidance in the Old Testament was the angel of the Lord. God's primary source of guidance in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are in a transition. And the book of Acts is just that. And God says this, reaching this Ethiopian eunuch is this important because it's a transition from the Old Testament, which prophesies in Isaiah 56, which you are going to read at the end, how eunuchs will be counted as people of God just as much as if you were born Jewish. So this eunuch that God's going to win all by himself on this little desert road is pivotal. It's hinging in the Christian movement because we're making a statement. And God says, let me guide you with an Old Testament source, but let me also guide you with a New Testament source because this eunuch is the first Gentile convert in the New Testament. And the church of Jesus Christ is not just made up of people who are Jewish, but made up of people who are Gentile. Because being saved is not a matter of your ethnicity. It's a matter of your relationship and faith in Jesus Christ. So here's how God guides, ready? God guides you, Philip, to people. And he does it, listen, sometimes in the New Testament, he did it supernaturally. Can I tell you this? But he always does it strategically. Strategically meaning this. That not only did God put this eunuch there so a man who'd go get saved as a Gentile would go back to Africa and evangelize thousands of people. Yes, God put that together strategically. But watch this. This is where you and I come in. But we have a chariot on the road. And the guy is sitting there. And he has an Isaiah scroll. Okay? Now, he doesn't have his Bible. He's not going like this. The Isaiah scroll is like this. And it's like this thick. Okay? Okay? And by the way, not everybody had Isaiah Scrolls, but this guy could because he was a politician. The Bible says that he worked with Candace. That's her title. She was queen of Ethiopia. She is huge. She is really the ruler of the bottom half of Africa. She is loaded financially, and he's got a lot of money because he's her treasurer. He keeps track of all of her finances. The guy is rich to be able to afford to have someone carry you 800 to 1,000 miles on their backs to get you there and back. The guy has everything. Okay, when he goes to Jerusalem after this arduous trip, he spends a boatload of money to buy his own Isaiah scroll. He has this in his chariot, and he has rolled it out. And he has rolled the scroll. Now listen, all the way, Isaiah has 66 chapters, so he has unrolled it the vast majority of the way because he's in chapter 53, That's a lot of unrolling. So he has taken his time, and maybe he started from the beginning, I don't know. But this is where he's at, right? So he's there. You know what he needs? He is reading as an Ethiopian, a black man from Africa. He is speaking and reading Greek. So he bought the Isaiah scroll that was in Greek, right? So he needed someone who was Jewish that could understand the Isaiah scroll could tell him the answers to his questions, but also did not just speak Hebrew and Aramaic as a lot of Jewish people did, but also had the ability to speak Greek. Now, it just so happens, it just so happens that Philip is a Hellenistic Jew, which means he grew up outside of Israel. He knows Hebrew, he knows Aramaic, but he grew up speaking Greek. And it just so happens in chapter eight that he happens to be in the area. He's in Samaria evangelizing. Now, you don't think God put that all together? That the guy needed this man at this time in this place with this skill set. Is it not to you stunning, absolutely stunning to consider that there are people in this world that only you can reach? See, God has equipped every one of us, just like he equipped Philip, to be the perfect man to reach this Ethiopian eunuch, which was a hinge of history in the gospel movement. I have been to Haiti, Colombia, Philippines, Ecuador. I lived in England, traveled in Europe because my parents lived there. And I only speak English and not very well. But... I have memorized a few lines from most of the countries I've gone to. I'm in Walmart on Friday, fr- no, Thursday, getting some things for chapel here at school. And over time I really worked hard at looking at people and their facial structure and how they look and their accent and to know where they come from. And so the checkout counter girl was probably 20, maybe. And she says, "Good afternoon." that's all she had to say I knew she was Haitian so I don't answer in English because I'm Haitian on the inside and I say to her como ye I wish you could have seen her face what's this white dude how does he know this stuff I'm speaking Creole to her and she says como ye back to me but I don't say English I say nambule right but, because I'm Haitian. Right? So she says a couple, now, now she stops speaking English and starts speaking Creole. I go, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that good. So my cover was blown after two lines, but hey. But I got to, t- I talked to her, asked her where she's from. I asked her if she goes to church anywhere, and the person behind me was getting mad, so I couldn't go much further. But you know what I said? I'll be back, and as I'm walking away, I turn around. I go, Oh, nah <laughs> uh, She was laughing. She was. laughing. Well, you know why? Because God put me there. I believe that. No accidents, only appointments. See, God put me there, and see, God gave you the abilities. He gave you the ability to work with your hands and with tools and all this stuff I can't do, right? And He He wants to bring you to people. And see, some of you in our church, we have twenty different nations. Accident? No way. You know, we can reach people in our church who are Asian and Filipino and Hispanic and Latino and Puerto Rico and Ecuador and Guatemala. I mean, it's why? Because this is how God designed the church to be. And he's given you your background, your language, your skill set, your ability, and all the things that you've been and where you've been and how you've been and all that. Not just to make your life better or easier, because he wants to use it for the furtherance of the gospel, You see, can I tell you today, the mission of the church belongs to everyone, every one of us. I read a quote this week which said, The church of God does not have a mission in the world. The God of missions has a church in the world. And folks, we are that church. We are that people. And that's why we need to go fully realizing that God is sovereign and that he alone can save people should not. Make us underestimate the significance of the opportunities that we have for God when we go. And can I say it nicely, those opportunities to witness for him are all around us. I read a very disturbing article this week about drowning. And I'm going to read it to you verbatim. Most people think that drowning involves screaming, gasping, and flailing. They think it's easy to notice someone drowning. If you think that, here's what the article says. Well, you're wrong. It says drowning is a silent killer. There is no waving or calling for help of any kind in most cases. It's not at all like you see on TV. Many people would not even notice another person drowning, even if they're within 30 yards of them. Even scarier, the article says, is that there's a small but significant percentage of kids drowning. And adults will have watched the whole process of that child drowning, not having a clue what was happening. I read that article and I thought, is that me? How pathetic am I sometimes, and so nonchalant, to walk around people who are not drowning, but spiritually, they are already dead. And I walk by them, and they're not even breathing, but I don't stop to give them gospel CPR. I don't do that. You know why? Because too often, Pastor Walker is engrossed with his own concerns. And I can pass by spiritually dead people and not even think about what is at stake for their soul. See, but God says this. Here's what I do. I guide you to people if you're willing to go. And maybe if we put the go back in the gospel, we would realize this, that as we walk at school by all the lockers, that all those kids taking their books out of there don't know Jesus. And maybe at our work, and the cubicle that we're at next to the other cubicle and this cubicle, that we wouldn't say, hey, to go doesn't mean I have to cross the ocean, but maybe it does mean I have to cross the hole. And maybe we would see that our neighbors are not just nice people who live next door who like to grill out like we do, but they're people who are lost and headed to a Christless eternity unless you and I go to them. See, this is what God says, and half the equation is this God guides you to people. But you know what the half, the second half of the story in, in Acts 8 is? You guide people to God. The whole rest of the story is about how he got in the chariot, opened the scriptures up, and the guy says, Who is this talking about? Who is this person in Isaiah 53? he says, and you don't know? And he goes, how can I know? Listen to this. Listen to this text, verse 31. How can I know unless someone guides me? You know what the guy's saying? I'll never get it unless you tell me. Do you know there are thousands of people, millions of people in this world who never get it, and you'll never meet them. But you know what? You're in sphere, sphere of influence. There are some people, maybe hands full of people, smaller number, but listen, just as vital, that need to have you guide them to God. So he gets up in this chariot, and he does it. You guide people to God. Two questions. Let me answer them. Where are these people? Well, for him, for Philip, the people he could influence, you know where it was? It was in a little offshoot road. And I went to Israel. I was able to see that road. In a little town in Philistine territory called Gaza. Today, it's called the Gaza Strip, full of fighting and all kinds of stuff often, and it was that way in that day. And it was not a comfortable place that a Jewish guy like Philip would ever want to go. But when you say go to God, can I tell you this? It won't matter where going sends you. Gaza was a little, can I say, a little nasty town, kind of like ones you drive, not nasty, but you go drive through it, and it's kind of like one gas station, one diner on the end of town, and Walmart was the center of everything. That was Gaza. And about 20 miles from where he was, he had to take a whole day's walk to get there. And it wasn't definitely in his comfort zone. But when God says go, Philip didn't hesitate. Verse 27 says this in the text. God says, rise and go. And you know what, verse 27, don't skip it. And he arose and went. I love that. He didn't question, why me? He didn't say, are you serious, Gaza? He didn't say, I've already spent enough time in Samaria. He didn't say any of those things. He said, God, you said it, I do it. And it doesn't matter where it is that you send me to do it. Can I ask you, is that you? Sam Lamoth, before he died, 79, went on his first short-term missions trip. And he went to Panama. I love that, 79. We put our shirts the year after he passed away, 79 on it to remember. See, even for Sam, 79 at that heat that's in Panama and things that go, he said, I'm going. And for Sam, it didn't really matter. Brent Williams went to his first missions trip, I know as well, recently went to Panama. See, sometimes God says go and it means to go across the ocean. Sometimes it means to go across town. Sometimes it means just go across the street. And I can tell you, I've been places, and you have too, if you've ever been on a mission trip, I've gone places where there are no, I don't have anyone else speaking English but me and the few people that came on our, most of the time, I'm not talking to anybody I can understand. There's no AC. I've been to places where there are no indoor toilets or plumbing, where the bathroom was a hole in the dock with wood around it. I've been places that were incredibly hot. And the worst of all, I've been places where there was no Mountain Dew. (laughs) Okay, there is one thing worse than that. Big, fat, slimy spiders. I can't stand them. I woke up in Haiti one morning, and I got out of bed, and right above my head on the wall was this big, fat, slimy spider. And Vlad took the broom and chased it around. stupid fast, too. So glad he got it, because I was, ugh. Killed that thing. We prayed over it and everything like that, But listen, it's uncomfortable to go where God sends you sometimes. It isn't always easy. But see, when you say go to God, you let Him punch your passport. You let Him tell you where it is. That's why we have a church in Trenton, and that's why we have the soup kitchen, and that's why we go to other countries in Panama and have headquarters. You know why? Because God said go into all the world, including Samaria. But not just where are these people. Can I say it and I'll close? Who are these people? The Bible gives two descriptions and they're very important about the man that Philip reached. This one guy who's going to help reach Africa. And by the way, Africa today, all these years later, has the most, one of the highest rates of growth Christianity-wise in the world. Could it be that his impact is still far-reaching? But the guy is called Ethiopian, and he's called a eunuch. Now, before I say that, listen, in every one of these stories I'm telling you, and you can't see in the English here because they didn't translate it, but in verse 27, it says, and he rose and went, and the Greek word is, and behold. Now, this is a big word. It's a dramatic word. Up until now in the book of Acts, when you say behold, it describes events like this, the ascension, ascension of Jesus into heaven. It describes God striking Sapphira dead because he, she and her husband lied. It describes a bunch of major Peter speaking and thousands of people getting saved. It describes some major events. And then he says, behold, and you think, ooh, what's coming next? Well, one guy's going to get saved. You say, how does that rate? That's how pivotal this story is. Can I say? That's how pivotal it is you to reach the one person you can reach. You just don't know what God can do. So behold, he says, there is an Ethiopian he said, and this guy is rich, he's got influence. And the Bible wants us to know why God strategically chooses him. Because he can have an impact, and he's got a network of people that he's going to extend to that we can never reach from Judea and Samaria like Philip. And the Bible says, and this is the most important part about who these people are, five times in the text, verse 27, 34, 36, 38, 39, he's called a eunuch. Not to be too graphically, but because he worked with the queen and other women in her court, they deprived him of all his sexual abilities. I'll leave it at that. You know what I mean? And I say that, and I need to bring that out, because to Jewish people, eunuchs were abhorrent. Deuteronomy 21, 23, one says that if you are a eunuch, you cannot worship in the temple at Jerusalem. You are rejected. You are an outcast. In fact, if you in the eunuch's day, when he went to the temple and got the Isaiah scroll, he never went inside because we have today inscriptions that from that wall, the outside retaining wall, on the farthest outer court, the court of Gentiles, which he couldn't even go in, even though he was a Gentile, it said this in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, to the lame the blind and the eunuch, you may not enter these courts, At penalty of death, he was not allowed in to worship God. So now you know when he gets saved why he was excited to say, here's water. You know why? Because when you get baptized, you're accepted in the family. You're part of everybody else's life, and you're not an outcast anymore. You're not rejected. So why? Listen, what kind of people are we reaching when we go? Broken people, not accepted by most, outcast people. So you know he's reading this Isaiah text, and he's broken. Please don't turn there, but listen to me as I read. The book of Isaiah says, and I want to tell you why was he reading in 53? It could be because he had read 56. Listen to Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. In other words, if you're not Jewish, there'll come a time where, don't say that God won't treat me the same. For as the rain, I'm sorry, and let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. In other words, I have no part in this. For thus says the Lord, listen to this, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give to the eunuchs in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And he was wondering, how can that be me? And you know what Philip says? I'm here to guide you. I'm here to tell you that you don't have to be separated from God. Yes, you are broken, but God loves you this morning have you ever considered this that maybe god guided you here so we could guide you to god and maybe you're here this morning and you're broken like we all are you're broken relationally your marriage has failed And divorce has occurred, and you're alone by yourself. Financially, you're broken. The legal fees and all the other things have just about brought you to a financial ruin. Socially, you're broken because of the things in your life. And perhaps some of you, the choices you've made, your family doesn't accept you. And you're an outcast. And the shame that you feel and keep inside to yourself and the tears that you cry that only God sees. Has brought you to the place where you have thoughts of suicide and you're so empty inside, and you would say, Pastor Walker, I feel like I'm just dead on the inside. But have you ever come to the realization that perhaps worst of all, but best of all in your heart would be the realization that you're spiritually broken, cut off from God? See, Philip said, Let me guide you to the person who can restore you. You're broken. But see, Jesus is the man of Isaiah 53 and he can restore you. Only Jesus can make you whole. He can take your brokenness and turn it into beauty. Mark Schultz wrote a song and I want to conclude by reading the words. There's a businessman, there's a widowed wife. There's a smiling face with a shattered life. There's a teenage girl with a choice to make. It's crowded here in church today. And the preacher says as the sermon ends, please close your eyes and bow your heads. Is there anyone in need of prayer? Because Jesus wants to meet you here. Because we all fall short. And we all have sinned. But when you let God's grace break in, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Come as you are. Surrender your heart broken and beautiful. Do those two words go together? Only in Jesus. He closes off the hymn with a song with this. Well, he'd never been to church before, but he came today as a last resort. His world was crashing in, and he was suffocating in his sin. You feel that? But tears ran down as hope rushed in. He closed his eyes, raised his hands, worshiping the God who can bring him back to life again. Maybe God brought you and guided you here so we can bring you back so he can give you life again. If you're here today and broken, you can be beautiful through Jesus Christ and what he did when he died on the cross and rose again for your forgiveness, for your sins. If you've never trusted him, you've never repented of your sins, never put your faith and trust in him, you can do that today. And he brought you here just for that broken and beautiful. Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna do what the song I just read said. And the sermon has ended. Now the pastor says, anyone in need of prayer, Jesus wants to meet you here. He does. He does. He's guided you here today because today he wants to make your brokenness beautiful. That's what his eternal life and salvation and forgiveness can do for you. We're going to sing 591 in a moment. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Would you let him do that today? Would you let him have his way in you? Perhaps you're here and you've never trusted Christ with every head bowed and every close, See, in the main floor of the balcony, you say, Pastor Walker, broken, that's what I am. But I want Jesus and his cross, death, and resurrection to make me beautiful. I need him in my life. Here's my hand. I'm raising it right now. Please pray for me. Would you do that? No one else looking. I just, I don't know your name, but I would like to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Main floor of the balcony. Join this one. Broken, but thank you. See your hand as well. Anyone else? Perhaps you're here as a Christian today. I want to go for God. I want to see him guide me. I need to have eyes to see. And listen, you don't have to have the angel of the Lord tell you to go because Jesus already has. He already has. He's told you to go. The question is, will you go? Will you go where and to who he wants you to? We have eyes to see the people who are drowning and have died in their sins. Will you go? May God move in your heart to obey his command with all of your heart. Father, I'm so thankful that you're here today, that you are in our midst, And you have brought people here, and they've raised their hand, indicating you've guided them here. This is not an accident. This is not some cosmic chance. This is your divine providence. And your word is so powerful. May it transform them by your spirit. We might have the opportunity to guide them to you today as we sing this song of invitation. And for those who are Christians here today, who have been told to go into their own world, right where they are, and maybe even beyond that. Father, may you help them to be broken to your will, to do it from their hearts, because lives, and may I say eternal lives are at stake. Help us to that end, Master, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.